Hello everybody and welcome back to the Rising Ecosystems podcast, a new show that lifts the lid on the world of startups, innovation and the communities that surround them. I'm Alex Owen Hunt, FDI's Global Markets Editor, and I'm joined by my co-host, me, Jesse Bello Perez, a tech and business journalist and editor of Unleash, which is a media platform covering the future of work. Now, we've been gone for a little while, so we hope you've missed us as much as we've missed you. But there's obviously a very good reason for our absence. But before we kind of get into that, I just want to know, Alex, we've not spoken in a while. So how are you feeling? I'm doing very well, Jesse. Been very busy. Uh, I've been speaking at a few tech conferences most notably recently uh, about energy tech, some really exciting things happening in that space. Hydrogen is the buzzword of the of the day. And certainly there's a lot of investment and activity going in there. And it's really the direction we all need to move to a decarbonized uh, and greener world. So exciting things happening, but been very busy. How are you doing? I'm good. I think uh, I've also been doing a lot of live webinars online and I'm not sure about anybody else listening to this, but I certainly feel like I've done enough now, (laughs) 14 months into the pandemic, I should say. Um, But yeah, a lot of stuff around future of work, employee management, employee engagement, a lot of diversity and equity and inclusion stuff. But also, actually, it's funny that you mention um, the energy tech stuff, because we're also seeing that sustainability is a huge trend across the entire HR industry. So I'm hopeful that we'll see a lot of positive change come out of a very tough um, year of 14 months. Very interesting. Now, in terms of tech ecosystems, we've also been very busy at FDI Intelligence with producing our latest bi-monthly print magazine. Now, there's a whole treasure trove of things in that magazine that our listeners will find interesting, from the top 100 companies by research and development spending, who are the most innovative players out there, you can find out in our magazine. There's also uh, deep dives into the chip crunch, the semiconductor shortage that's happening at the moment, lots of explorations of different countries around the globe. But perhaps most excitingly, we did our first ranking of African tech ecosystems in collaboration with a company called Brighter Bridges. So it was a really exciting thing to do. We looked at 17 countries and how attractive they are for tech investment and innovation. And I can tell you, Africa is where there's a lot of things happening. That's so exciting. I feel like we need to talk about African tech a lot more. And I know from the very little reading that I've done on the sector, um, there's some amazing talent out there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you only have to look at the big tech players that are increasingly um, hiring more remote teams, but also setting up offices. I know Twitter was probably the most recent entrant um, deciding on Ghana, which is interesting. Aqua is a a real hub, but there are many all across Africa. Um, So certainly if you're interested in finding out a bit more about tech startups on the continent, check out our latest FDI intelligence magazine. But Jesse, let's get back to the podcast. This is the seventh episode in our series, exploring emerging entrepreneurial ecosystems across the UK. In our last episode, we covered Belfast, which was a fascinating discussion and a very candid thoughts on how the ecosystem developed and what, what's really turning the tide at the moment. Uh, if you missed that episode, please do subscribe to the FTI podcast on your preferred platform. It helps us a lot, but also it means that you'll get uh, notified about more of our content in the future. If you missed it, here's a teaser for, and a clip from that fascinating conversation. Things are really, really, really happening now. And I'm seeing, you know, especially on an investor level, there is a lot of interest in, in Northern Ireland and the ecosystem. Um, but I think, you know, the, the education piece and the kind of cultural attitudes needs to change really, really quickly. Because obviously, unless we're going to basically be really creating noise 
um, which is positive noise, of course, not just noise for the sake of noise, then I think, you know, it's almost kind of a hidden gem. Um, and I, I really think we can change that. Well, that was Belfast, and I really urge everyone to take a listen at that very candid episode. But this time round, we're actually putting an end to our whistle top tour of UK ecosystems. I know it's very sad, and we're heading to Cardiff. Uh, now, I have to say, I'm really excited about this one, and I know I've said this every single episode so far, but I've meant it every time as well. Um, I've been to Wales several times. I love uh, the landscape; it's beautiful. The people. I actually really also love the food as well, if I'm honest. Um, but I've been very lucky in the past as well to cover the ecosystem quite extensively. Um, but I, the one thing that kind of always held me back a little bit was just that being, you know, a London-based tech reporter, I'd never really had the chance to get a, do a real proper deep dive into Cardiff's um, startup ecosystem. So this is really exciting. Uh, but just to give everybody a little bit of context um, in terms of what's happening on the ground. Uh, so we looked at Tech Nations 2020 report and we found out that tech firms in Cardiff raised £32 million in investment last year. So exciting numbers, but it must be noted that that is slightly lower than elsewhere in the UK. So we're really keen to find out some of the challenges that entrepreneurs are facing in Cardiff and also some of the opportunities out there for investors seeking out the next big thing. So to dig deeper into the ecosystem, we've invited two prominent members of the community to walk us through what has, what has helped the ecosystem flourish and some of the challenges they're facing. Our first guest is Stephanie Locke, who's the CEO of Nightingale HQ, which provides businesses with expert support and tools to manage successful artificial intelligence adoption. Now, Steph is a data scientist and a big advocate of helping others on their tech journeys. And she's involved in a number of different organizations across the world uh, to inform and support people, including the EU Digital SME Alliance. So exciting things to come from Steph. But Jesse, who's our second guest? Yep. So we also spoke to Neil Cocker, who is an experienced startup founder and CEO. And he also has a wealth of experience when it comes to building startup communities. Uh, Neil has also worked in other European tech hubs, most notably in the Balkans. And he's most well known as the CEO and co-founder of Ramp, a business that's changing the way people buy T-shirts for events and teams by actually building technology that makes the process quicker and smarter than ever before. So two exciting guests to come and a very candid conversation indeed. So lots for listeners to look forward to. As usual, we started proceedings by asking them to walk us through how the ecosystem got to where it is today. It's a bit difficult because I think if we're just talking about tech in isolation, there's really only one or two subsectors of tech that within within Cardiff and Wales that seem to have done reasonably well. And so I suppose if we're looking back at the ones who really set the scene and been the trailblazers, I mean, look, OK, so if we go back to the beginning, Wales has a its history in coal mining, manufacturing, you know, very much a traditional industries kind of uh, background. And as such, it's only really in recent years that technology has started to play a part in this. Um, the sort of successful stories in re and big, you know, household name successes are really people like Confused.com. Um, and, you know, there's been quite a few insurance companies that have spun out of that ecosystem of Admiral Confused, that kind of thing. So there's quite a lot of stuff going on there. I don't feel like there really is a history and that leads to some of the, the problems we see within the ecosystem. Uh, insofar as we don't have that many first generation entrepreneurs, people who made their, um, and if we're talking exclusively within tech, that is, uh, we don't really have that many people who made their money in 
you know, the first two waves of tech, you know, in 2000 and 2010 or whatever, you know, we've got a handful. Um, and that, I think there's definitely, um, I know trickle down economics is probably not uh, the best way to, to frame it, but certainly that knowledge uh, needs to come from people who've been there and done it. And sadly, we don't have that critical mass here. So I feel like we're really still in the very, very early stages of uh, a tech story here. We, we can't we can't look at Old Street and go, hey, you know, with this, you know, you look back to the very early 2000s and there was so and so here and this office, you know, you had, you know, Moo.com and all these people kind of moving. And, you know, you can trace that lineage and you can talk about some of those uh, early startup successes. They are here, but in nowhere near uh, enough quantity that I think would suggest there is a cohesive story. Um, I think what you're looking at is there's lots of innovation here, there's lots of manufacturing here, um, and there's a lot of creativity here. And almost by osmosis, and the fact you can build an app in a weekend at home, it's happened. I don't think there's really been a very clear... I know people forging the way for people like Steph and myself. Do, 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 does that sound like it's fair, Steph? Is that a fair characterization? Tech is definitely an area that really is only being kind of the last decade picking up. Um, you know, the amount of unemployment, low education, uh, lack of big businesses um, has been quite substantial in South Wales for a while. There's been a lot of government and EU stimulus towards that. So um, it was one of the things that I found quite interesting was that Wales was one of the most economically deprived areas in all of the EU. Um, we So as an area, the amount of effectively like things like urban deprivation were quite high. Tech and the amount of university support and government support has been helping turn that around. And we do have, uh, as Neil said, um, Admiral settled here uh, in South Wales and has been phenomenal. They helped Confuse.com get started. Confuse used to work for Confuse.com when they were seven years old and Go Compare started out of them. We've got Money Supermarket in uh, in Wrexham and Northern Wales. So it's been tough because a lot of Welsh people would go away and, uh, to be able to use their skills. I think we're definitely seeing that turn around a lot more uh, this past decade. And I definitely feel like we're now in such a wonderful position with a huge boom in tech startups. No, I just think like this is so interesting because um, Wells was one of my biggest focus when I was at UKTN, which was previously known at Tech City News. It's also, I think, where I know Neil from, um, even though this is kind of like the first time that we've probably spoken in about six years. So um, that's good. Um, but, you know, you've you've mentioned some of the big names and you've mentioned the government support. And I remember when I was reporting on the scene, I have to admit it was a lot of the same names coming up time and time again. At Welsh ice in particular was something that was mentioned quite heavily. I just wanted to get a better understanding from, like, from both of your perspectives in terms of how crucial that government piece has been um, and kind of, you know, what real changed um, have you noticed in the ecosystem over the past decade? Welsh Ice has been 
really helpful. So um, ICE is a co-working space setup um, in Kefili, so just outside of Cardiff. And um, people like Gareth Jones, who are in, who set it up, uh, really helped foster particularly the kind of the creative community. Uh, and the co-working spaces are really important to Cardiff's networking of startups. I think there's a we don't have anywhere near as many like entrepreneur meetups as we do uh, as other cities do. So a lot of people do their networking during the day. Um, and ICE had a phenomenal stat when I was last there that more than 70% of the businesses who co-work there have a contract with somebody else there. So it's a really huge multiplier effect being inside that kind of ecosystem. Uh, and they had received government support. So we were able to do an accelerator there and get our first uh, year's worth of membership at ICE for free because of government support. And things like DevBank Wales to pr help uh, match funding for tech startups is really helpful. I have some problems with some of the DevBank stances, but that kind of that investment vehicle from the government is really important to being able to help tech startups take that risk of wanting to be a big scale up rather than growing slowly but surely in a bootstrap way. What Steph says about Welsh ice is uh, true, although they're not technically Cardiff. I mean, it's within the, 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 the sort of gravity of Cardiff and, and they're a big part of the Cardiff scene. And they're, they're a very um, big player and, you know, they've been phenomenal, just a, an astonishing community, uh, enterprise programs, um, co-working space. Sort of Steph alluded to the fact that the deprivation in Wales is is high, like some of the like literally, like, like she said, some of the, the poorest areas in Europe are in Wales, like just sort of handful of miles north of Cardiff, we've got Merthyr Tydfil, which is one of the poorest urban urban spots in, in the whole of Europe. And so there is a lot of government support like Wales has a big public sector. Now, this is a very much a double edged sword. And um, firstly, obviously, like, you know, Steph is talking about the support through, you know, somebody like Welsh Ice, it kind of Welsh Ice delivered the, the government support um, or the, the, the funding. That's fantastic. I think that is a great use of government funds. However, the problem is the size of the public sector in Wales almost leads to a patrician um, kind of approach whereby we have so much support to start that actually it can artificially prop up startups that shouldn't really have survived. So I think if you're going to take a very, let's say, survival of the fittest, evolutionary um, kind of approach to this. And it's, you know, it's, I, I don't want to sound too sort of harsh about it, but like there are startups that I don't think would have survived in London or shouldn't have survived in London because, um, so the typical start hearing in Cardiff could be, you get some free desk space, uh, partially Welsh government funded, you'll get on a program and you'll grow, but you'll never quite get product market fit because it's nobody, that's a very elusive technical thing to achieve. And you have to be very, very disciplined to achieve that. 
it's one thing I noticed through mentoring startups across uh, the country and in fact across the world, the vast majority never even achieve product market fit, right? So what happens is they're artificially propped up by free desk space. And I think this stuff is important in the early stages, but you need to be prized off the teat of, you know, and if God, this sounds incredibly sort of hardcore capitalist. And I don't mean it's quite sound like this because I think the government support is important, but it's very, very possible to be propped up for five years with minimal revenue and not actually prove a, a solid business case because, you know, we have some investors here who are good investors. They're willing to invest. And with Development Bank of Wales, who would come in and match funds that investment. So you can raise a quarter of a million quid, which will go a long way in Cardiff. You know, that will go, you know, that will prop you up for a couple of years. And obviously that that money there is to help you find product market fit and get the hockey stick curve, right? But then, you know, you can go on another acceler- another incubator program, you know, whatever. And it's, I think it's entirely possible for a business to run for four to five years without really ever achieving any kind of profit product market fit or significant revenue whereas i think actually in more um less supportive environments where you have to be you know um have to survive on your own two feet you know i i genuinely think that's a problem i think the the environment here is a great place to start i don't necessarily think the state the things that make a, a good place to start are also the things that make a good place to grow that's really interesting. It's certainly something we've heard uh, across other ecosystems. Uh, although I really appreciate you being so candid in this sense that there is a lot of funding and support resources for the early stage, but actually when it gets to the point of growing, or maybe you're looking at scaling across cross borders or or um, scaling up your teams, then it, that's where the, you hit the roadblock as a startup. Yeah, I wonder. I was just going to say so. Um, I think that you can see the knock-on effects of this and then how it shapes the ecosystem. I left the UK for two years, two and a bit years, a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm, one of my co-founders is in, in Bulgaria. So I went to work with him for a while in, in, out there. Uh, and obviously seeing a different ecosystem out in Sofia, and that was really interesting and working there. And I did some work with the ecosystem in sort of Albania and Macedonia. And that gave me a, a different perspective as well. But I came back and I started to look in my absence, what kind of other events that I missed out, right? What, what else was going on? And I could not find in a European capital city, such as Cardiff is a single founder led meetup for founders, right? Which I think is a, a proxy for a healthy, you know, and, and I think, and I'm, this is correlation not causation or i can't prove causation but i think people are so expect you know so used to things being provided for them because welsh government does so much business support and so much stuff on that front that people are going you know so cardiff start the organization i co-founded we used to run a lot of events by founders for founders because i think we fundamentally understood the the need I left the country. Uh, some of the other guys were were busy uh, running their own things. One of the guys just exited. Some, you know, so we, you know, it wasn't it wasn't our day job. It's something we did out of passion. Um, but I came back, and it there's no founder run events, and this is pre pandemic, by the way. So there's no reason for there not to be. And also, one thing that's uh, on top of that is there are no proper accelerators in Wales. There are no equity-based accelerators. There are things that call themselves accelerators, but effectively incubators, free desk space, and mentoring from a bank manager, whatever. But like, we don't have 
an accelerator program. We have nothing that looks like SeedCamp or Y Combinator or Techstars here. And, and those are the kind of things that are really, really good at instilling uh, good knowledge into an ecosystem about, you know, uh, those kind of principles to, to grow a business. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm glad you mentioned Sophia. Actually, we have a tech team at the FT that do some fantastic work for us. So I know know about the hot talent out there. I, I'm interested with these challenges, Steph, you as a founder yourself, I mean, how have you found that trying to grow your business um, in Wales? And maybe is there a silver lining to all of this? I think Neil's definitely right. So we did the um, Welsh government's accelerated growth program accelerator for three months, which was, for me, it was as somebody who'd run a lifestyle business, I would, uh, and, you know, turning profit, that was all reasonable. I wanted to make sure I'd kind of dotted all my I's, crossed all my T's around what is the best practice, gold standard advice for growing a tech startup that takes over the world. And the advice I got was whether you should know whether you're a sole, whether you want to set up a sole trader business or a limited liability company. And that just made me want to like flip the desk because, well, obviously you should be a limited liability company because if you're going for broke, you, you know, you, you need that protection. So there was a lot like that. And then DevBank Wales kind of put me off. They said, no Welsh seed level start tech startup is worth more than 750K. Why? They're, because that that is the expectation of our success. Uh, so that's not being some, that's not an attitude that I am keen on. Um, but I kind of get where they're coming from. And I think Neil's point about kind of almost like the patrician public sector here, Wales has been a nation of employees. My family, when, when I was growing up was like, you don't go start your own business. That's too risky. You work for somebody else that gives you protection. Um, because, well, I, I don't see it from my perspective, having been born like during and after coal strikes and miners strikes and things, but being an employee doesn't protect you at all. Particularly in tech, we don't have unions. There's, you know, th there's no benefit to being an employee over being an entrepreneur. And that attitude of Welsh businesses are small, they're almost lifestyle, they're family-owned, private, small things, just serving South Wales, maybe a bit of the M4 corridor, that doesn't help us. And there is no advice on becoming an effective scale-up. There's some great organizations doing it now, kind of quietly under the radar, like um, DevOps Group. They're a consultancy who've gone from like 10 people to 75 people to, I think they're up to almost 100 now over a space of three, four years. They got some investment, uh, but they're not shouting about it. They're not doing the whole startup, scale up, news rounds. Everybody who is doing well in Wales tends to keep quite quiet about it. So we have a great tech community ecosystem, like 
we either run conferences or run user groups, we, we do the meetups, we do all of that, but it is still almost very much from that employee perspective. We get great at our jobs, not the entrepreneurship founder side where you get great at your passion. I think the thing that really hammers home that 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 advice thing to me is, you know, you're you're well connected. Who would you turn to, or or how many people do you know who you can turn to in Cardiff who have taken a startup from ideation through seed round to growth to let's say exit? Very very few, less than a handful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it and, is and, and really could, could you and could uh, you yeah. know they those people do exist. Obviously, people like Haley Parsons who did Go From Care or whatever. But you know, Haley's not going to be available for a quick coffee. Uh, you know, because rightly she's taken her money and is you know she probably didn't see her family for five years. So I you know I don't, but you know we don't we don't have like fifty of those. Therefore, by the law of Kevin Bacon's or something, you're eventually going to be able to know someone who's grown that startup, right? So. Um, yeah, that's always a sense of frustration to me is like, you know, I know a lot of people in the Cardiff startup ecosystem, and I really struggle to name anyone who I could put you in touch with who, if, you know, if I had a young entrepreneur here who said, I need to speak to someone who's scaled a, uh, a, a startup, even to a 1 million exit, mm. I'd be like, right, um, who can I put you in touch with? Yeah, but on, on that note, I mean, we have a global readership, right? And we're looking at these rising nascent ecosystems as as case studies. How how can governments better promote entrepreneurs, enable them to grow their businesses? And I suppose what then is needed to push the Cardiff ecosystem to that next level? Um, you mentioned that the tide is turning. There were lots of Welsh people that perhaps would have looked to larger, more established ecosystems, whether it's London or internationally previously. But now they're deciding to stay in Cardiff. They see maybe the tide turning. That must be a positive. I mean, I wonder what what what's needed to accelerate that that sort of positive progress. One of the biggest things is consistent communication and networking. Like we have um, Global Welsh, who are kind of like Welsh alumni diaspora type network, who are doing a lot more locally to bring their contacts for investment and networks and bringing that back to Wales. Um, so they're starting to run events. We're seeing, I, I think we're actually at that early kind of traction stage where we're starting to re really, we've done a lot of the hard work. And if we can continue, we're going to see huge gains over the next five, 10 years. That's going to be such a huge impact. But we all just need to keep talking, keep helping each other for starters. So we don't have that knowledge in the ecosystem, right? And it's a very, very particular set of skills. And I think it's very easy to glamorize um, startups as um, uh, moments of genius by people who wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and only drink uh, protein shakes. But actually, the reality is that building a growing startup is very much a process. Uh, and understanding that process and understanding the nuances for your industry is really, really important. Um, we don't have that knowledge in our ecosystem so we have to find ways to get it in to the ecosystem so you know having things like uh, accelerator programs that are based on equity uh, that have an, an investment in you being a uh, great success is absolutely vital what i mean one thing we started doing with cardiff start several years ago that proved really successful was basically helicoptering the knowledge in 
so Cardiff Council, who were who were always really really helpful, um, were very useful in helping us secure some funding to and yet again, like I say, you know, some of the funding from where the public sector is good and some of it's it's frustrating, but Cardiff Council in particular were always very helpful, um, and we basically were helicoptering in people who really knew what they were talking about. So I could afford to say to like employee number four at SoundCloud, come and talk to us. We don't have anybody of your expertise here, but come and spend a day with us. We'll do a, uh, we'll do a workshop during the day. Um, we'll do, uh, we'll take, I'll take you to meet three or four music startups in the afternoon. And then in the evening, we'll do a fireside chat and beer and pizza thing, right? So you could do this, build this whole day around someone's incredible knowledge and build all these contacts. But there's no point doing that with somebody locally who's made their three million quid off a carpet warehouse or a manufacturing company, right? So um, I think the the important thing is finding ways to get that relevant knowledge in because we have knowledge, but it's just not relevant enough. And I think that's the thing that I've always been banging the drum about is relevancy, relevancy of funding, because we have some investors here, but a lot of them don't have a background in tech. So don't understand what it what it needs and what it means to scale a startup. And we need relevancy of knowledge because dear God, I've made a lot of mistakes in the last five to 10 years. You know, I literally could have saved tens of thousands of pounds and several years of my life. And I see that week in, week out with uh, startups locally and, you know, not just Cardiff, globally as well, you know, outside of London, Berlin, Paris, New York, San Francisco, whatever. You know, they just don't have access to the right, the right uh, support and knowledge. And Gosh. I think, sorry, to, to one final sentence is I think irrelevant or bad advice or advice that isn't relevant can sometimes be a lot worse than no advice at all. You must be so frustrated because I am getting really frustrated listening to this, right? Like, so you don't necessarily have something which a lot of the startups and, and the startup ecosystems that we've looked at so far have, which is, for example, Cambridge is kind of like the return of the serial entrepreneur that's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, um, and it's now coming back to nurture the ecosystem. Um, but also, I think one of the biggest frustrations for me was when I was at UKTN, you know, the conversation kind of shifted from tech city to tech nation. And we all know um, that, you know, that's been largely questionable in terms of how far their reach was. Um, but also just looking back at my own reporting. So Bristol and Bath, who, which aren't that far away from Wales, seemed to be getting a lot, seemed at the time to be getting a lot of um, attention from VCs. Like they used to constantly say to me, you know, we're no longer just looking at London. We're getting the train. We're going to Glasgow. We're going to Edinburgh. We're going to Bristol. And then that kind of stops there. And and surely it kind of seems like a bit of a missed opportunity from that perspective in terms of saying, well, clearly there's something happening there. We're not necessarily sure exactly what that looks like quite yet, but there might be a really interesting opportunity where the competition for the VCs isn't as high as it is in London. So, you know, we co constantly talk about VCs getting FOMO, but I just feel like Wales and Cardiff in particular has been largely forgotten. It, it often feels that way. And like the, Steph alluded to earlier, the valuations you can get here are, are insane. You know, like people bite your hand off for a, for a 500K valuation. I mean, that's an exaggeration, of course, but, you know, you, you, you can because the, the market here is so much smaller and less aggressive and less competitive than it is in, say, London. 
two very, very comparable startups. Um, you know, we, we all see the thing, don't we? Like Silicon Valley, you see like raised 5 million in 15 minutes off the back of a napkin and they, we just haven't even got an idea yet. And it's like here, you know, you could have something that's starting to generate revenue and still would only have a valuation of a few hundred thousand pounds. So there's some real deals to be got here for VCs. At Nightingale, we're still making sure that we're making sure we have excellent product market market fit. So we're we're at break even now. We're starting to get monthly recurring revenue, you know, monthly recurring revenue, increasing the annual contract sizes, and we struggle to get a lot of traction from VC. So partly it's uh, it's that network effect. You, you are like 10 times more likely to get a VC deal with a warm introduction than a cold DAC intro. So there's that hurdle to overcome the fact that, you know, I'm from a poor background, I'm in Cardiff, relatively to the rest of the country, everybody I know is poorer. We do not have that VC contact. Then the, the local investors are poorer. <laughs> as well so the deal size here is much smaller so we're looking um outside of wales for investment we're looking at the eu we have to consider strongly with great ties in dublin do we move to you know do we move hq to ireland and participate in the dublin uh tax scene and it's also it's also difficult being a female founder-led company we have theoretically that additional hurdle to jump. My only positive really about all of this is when you jump those hurdles, you have to be so much of a stronger business to do it. So it's like Neil said, it's very easy to stay safe and stay alive in Wales. But if you can get that VC funding, if you can go that next step, you're doing it not with attraction values that somebody in London would be able to show and turn over a deal, you're five times better. The returns that business, that VCs get for going that extra like 30 minutes on the train is gonna net them businesses that are moving through that survivorship bias and getting those outsized returns. So when we succeed, it's more laudable and it's better because of it <laughs> absolutely i mean i'm in awe of all of you entrepreneurs and and i wish you the best of luck in your expansion plans and, and raising investment steph i wonder if we can just bring this because you know our publication often focuses on the economic development impact of tech and startup ecosystems tech really is democratizing it can offer opportunities to all people from all different walks of life and particularly linked with the deprivation you've mentioned in wales how accessible is tech for the broader community in Wales? Is is enough being done in terms of a diversity of people getting into tech and startups? And maybe there's something more needs to be done in terms of enabling people to get a, get an opportunity to to really reap the full benefits that technology and startups can can bring. I think that the simple answer is no, tech is not accessible because you need like uh, particularly right now we're seeing a big uh, reduction in IT teaching in high school and stuff through the introduction of computer science and things like that so that there is a problem with the tech on-ramp at the moment 
Um, but it's also, you know, to so many businesses to re require computer science degrees and things. And particularly now, that's 27 grand of debt minimum to get a job making forms on the internet. Like the, the simplicity of most software engineering does not need a degree to do. You need a boot camp. You need like 12 weeks, quick intensive training. And we're putting that huge debt in front of people to get into tech. So if you're from a poor background, you're not going to get into tech because you have to take on that debt. You're then going to maybe take in Cardiff, like we pay our juniors 18,000 pounds for a year for no experience coming in. 26,000 as a start, you know, after two years is what we're doing as a startup. So we're not that much above national living wage. Who's going to take on that amount of debt in a small area when the salaries are that low? And so we do need to be reduced, making that big impact. Uh, so like even as a startup, I've taken on higher national degree apprentices so people can get their degrees for free whilst working. We're taking part in the kickstart scheme. So we're hiring for three people, including a software engineer from young people. We've done internships for people with autism and uh, who've been long-term ill and brought them in and kind of been able to give full-time jobs. And uh, one of the things that I'm doing now is a big skills initiative uh, sponsored by Microsoft. We're doing once a week, training for uh, students across Europe and the UK. We're doing a free day of training plus an online learning path and a free certification attempt at uh, AI Fundamentals. So like in the past eight weeks, I've helped more than 5,000 people get more tech savvy. And that's the kind of thing that we need to be doing wholesale because I have a philosophy degree. I started out with like in a, in a business role and the price differential of a technology person to most standard business people is huge. There's a 40% pay gap between p jobs requiring advanced digital skills and those that don't. People, if you wanna earn money, you've gotta be getting into tech and we have some things like Code Academy and boot camps, which are really helping move us in the right direction to make tech accessible. But right now, it's very hard for people to get into tech, I think. You can tell that Steph is more tech than I am. I'm sort of more on the entrepreneurship side. And, you know, I, and certainly I think from that point of view, I think, you know, um, Steph and, you know, Steph and I've discussed uh, the the lack of diversity particularly around gender in in particularly within cardiff start as a community or just tech startup community in general and it's something um we've always wanted to address uh the diversity and you know i'm i'm fully aware that i am saying this as uh you know a, a straight white male sitting on my huge pillow of uh privilege here and you know it, it's but i'm very much the face of of what a tech startup looks like right typically um I almost take another viewpoint of like Steph is talking about it from a skills point of view. If we're talking about it from a, 
accessibility of access to becoming a tech startup, I think that's still very low. So in terms of like you can jump on the MakerPad forums or no code forum, right, and build up a start to learn how to build something no code by plugging Google Docs into, you know, uh, Zapier or whatever. Um, but I think the skills we need to develop on the entrepreneurship side is understanding the difference between, yes, I can go away and build an app and the difference between that and whether I should build an app, because that's the thing I'm seeing is because we've got this huge democratization and, you know, there are, you know, hopefully hugely diverse uh, generation of entrepreneurs coming through. What I want to see is that in Cardiff, we help them understand there's a fundamental difference between a good idea and a good business. And I think that's the thing that's really a massive missing piece for me here is like we don't have anyone. So, you know, again, it comes down to, you know, you'll see people waste three, four, five years of their life and a couple hundred grand of both private and public money because they didn't do the fundamentals in the early days. Um, and I, there's nobody in Cardiff that is telling them that's the wrong thing to do. So that that for me is um, dangerous. Um, and if I can finally, finally just give one one sort of uh, yes, he kind of uh, picked up on sort of the frustration of uh, Cardiff here. I mean, it, this is almost the thing that made me throw in the towel is a few years I got back from living in Bulgaria. I did this little tweet storm of like, nothing's changed. Where are we? Yes, there are some successes. We've got some great tech startup successes. Uh, FinTech is going strong. We've got startups like Delio who are doing great things. You know, some really, really interesting startups. But fundamentally, the ecosystem isn't there yet. There's still not enough knowledge. There's no founder-led startups. There's no equity-based accelerators. What can we do to change this? Blah, blah, blah. Big, big tweet storm. Lots of discussion. Lots of people agree with me. Some disagreed. I got a phone call the next day from an assembly member who is, uh, our assembly is our, our version of member of parliament. Um, and, you know, this, is, this person is a good guy. Uh, the fact that he reached out to me is is very commendable and very respectable. And he's like, how how can we how can we help? And I was like, well, you know, let's let's talk about this stuff. Okay, I'm going to go into way and talk to some people, and and I'll get back to you. Um, and he, you know, in short, he came back a couple of days later and was like, I've spoken to some people. They said you're wrong, so you know, there's not much we can do to help. You know, especially when you know all of this stuff is done voluntarily. So all of this community building that's done by Cardiff Start and the various people who push that forward has always been done for years voluntarily, mainly out of our own pockets. Uh, and it becomes very difficult to keep pushing that agenda when there's you're getting no sense of progress. Like I say, you know, FinTech, life sciences, whatever. But when you're dealing with people making decisions who fundamentally conflate IT and tech, um, then I think you're always going to lose a, a, be losing that battle. Honestly, like I, you know why I'm so frustrated by this? Because I come from northwestern Spain and I've been to Wales several times and the landscape alone reminds me of home. But it's also kind of like what happens when you live on a completely separate, like in this case, it's a country, so it's a completely different story, but like a completely like forgotten region or part of, of a wider set of, of, of nations. And I just feel like you said it's very easy in, in Cardiff to be propped up by um, like the like the local government, etc. But I also think um, on the reverse, it's very easy to be propped up in, in London, for example, by just getting loads of VC funds and raising a, a series A, B, C, D, E, F, G, Z, right? But it just seems like if when you look at sustainable businesses, 
and that's something that's been missing from the whole narrative around tech like we often celebrate big funding rounds it just seems to me that wales is kind of a very very big missed opportunity um and i just hope yeah. that that will change very quickly 100% agree i definitely think there's a huge conversation to be had about what i think we, we're seeing the back of that bubble aren't we of like you know just celebrating a big because we've all seen lots and lots of funding rounds that have been like wow they just raised the series a and then 18 months later they're they're selling their office chairs so you know i think we you know we all we all kind of understand that that is not necessarily the, the sole metric anymore that should be celebrated but you're absolutely right there are so many great opportunities so many very smart brilliant people creative great quality of life here it's a wonderful city in which to live you know anything negative i say about it as a you know as an ecosystem it is is tempered by the fact that as i'm sure steph will agree it's it's an incredible place to live uh wonderful people very smart three universities great quality of life but unless we find ways to make our startups and our, our founders better at growing businesses rather than just starting them um we're on a on a treadmill of just throwing public money in for to no benefit yeah, I mean, that's, I'm very glad you brought, took a positive spin on things because clearly there's a lot to, that Cardiff has to offer, but it just hasn't been pushed to that next step. I wonder, Steph, if you had any closing thoughts, why, why, why should our global readership of investors, economic development leaders be taking notice of, of Cardiff? There's lots of reasons to be in Cardiff, but one of the reason, one of the primary reasons VCs and folks should be looking at Cardiff is the same reason that I'm here and I was doing my consultancy. You know, we can charge London rates and pay Cardiff costs. The profitability of a Cardiff business can outstrip a London business because of the cost base. You know, my senior dev, who is fantastic is 50k salary in london they'd be 120 130k so i can have you know neil said like a 250k seed or pre-seed level that's five devs working for a year you know like that is a huge amount of development and capability compared to two or three devs in london we can outwork so many ecosystems with great talent and be able to build a great business. You know, we can get on the M4 to go to London. We've got flights to Amsterdam every day in London. Uh, sadly, not Dublin anymore. But, you know, the, the commute is easy to be an international business in Cardiff. So there are, there's no boundaries that make it difficult for us to transact elsewhere and so we can be charging those global prices but be keeping a cost base that um i did some stat i'm a data scientist of course i did the stats uh the ratio of house prices to median salary in cardiff is seven to one in bristol it's 15 to one in london it's 25 to one you know, so you could be working for just seven years and dump all your cash in and own a house. That's how cheap property is in in Cardiff. So the investment costs are lower. So you could, instead of the usual, was it invest in 20 businesses and hope one turns into a unicorn, you can invest in 40 businesses for the same amount of investment. Why would you not double your bets for the same amount, right? Thank you.
Well, that was a really detailed um, discussion about the ecosystem, which I'm very grateful for because I kind of went into the session thinking that um, I knew a lot about Cardiff um, and it's now become quite apparent that my knowledge was perhaps not as uh, as wide ranging as I thought. Um, I think the key takeaways for me, though, are like the lack of critical mass, which obviously has a huge impact on the amount of mentorship available to entrepreneurs on the ground, um, but also just thinking about the current lack of entrepreneurial ambition um, in terms of people probably looking to become employees as opposed to employers. And I know that's something that obviously Steph picked up on, but I'm just so keen to hear what you thought as well, Alex. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree what you've just said. I mean, for me, that you know, it seemingly had a negative spin on things, but Cardiff has a lot to offer. You know, there's amazing cost differential when you compare to bigger hubs in London, uh, let alone the property prices. Uh, but, you know, so engineering talent is in hot demand across the globe. And it's finding those locations that have the people that can do the required back end development, front end development, uh, but at, at a reasonable cost. So that not only makes it an attractive place for venture capitalists to look for these startups, but also for foreign direct investors. I mean, you know, there's companies looking for locations across the UK. To potentially yeah, and, and internationally to potentially set up their next base and Cardiff I think would be one to definitely watch and I think we just caught the ecosystem at a time where things are starting to turn and people are thinking oh I don't need to go to that bigger hub to set up my business I can probably stay in Cardiff but as you say it's the critical mass and I think you know the men the mentorship that comes from ecosystems by definition ecosystems are like-minded individuals together in a community working together you know with towards their ambitions and Cardiff is getting that it's, it's 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 picking up but not quite there yet so I think one thing that stood out for me that you know the mention of ice this co-working space just outside of Cardiff has clearly helped the ecosystem massively and enabled to have the infrastructure to sort of unify some of the entrepreneurs and and bring them together to to share best practices and and, and ideas but Cardiff is one to watch I think that's my my probably my one main takeaway and this is what this series is all about finding those nascent ecosystems yep I totally agree so any investors out there don't miss your chance to go and check it out for yourselves when it's safe to do so but that actually closes off our UK focus series so that's seven ecosystems we covered in the UK we've managed to do all four countries of the UK but now we're going to go global but before that we will have a summary episode discussing what's needed for the UK ecosystem to get to the next level. So exciting things to come. We'll summarize all the episodes we've had up to now and you listeners can look forward to that. But thanks again if you've made it this far in the podcast. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Please do subscribe if you'd like to get access to our content in the future. And if you've liked it, um, it also helps us a lot in terms of gaining a following. Uh, but again, thank you for making it this far in the podcast. And we'll see you in two weeks time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding 
or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.